House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Vincent Palamara, and we're going to talk about his new book, The Not-So-Secret Service. And this is um, Agency Tales from FDR to the Kennedy Assassination to the Reagan Era. Um, thanks for being here, Vince. Oh, thanks a lot, Al, and thank you to all your listeners. I appreciate it. Gra glad to be back. So, book number three. Now, uh, I've noticed you've covered a lot more in this than just the assassination, but you're taking it from the Secret Service point of view, I guess, right? You know. Uh, right. Did, now, have you tied something together from from FDR right up to Reagan with the Secret Service? as an entity like is it something that they do as a group or is this kind of consciously arrived at yeah well what it boils down to is that after my first book survivors guilt which was exclusively about the jfk assassination and you know the secret services actions and inactions that i think led to the president's death and even though i believe there's a conspiracy i always say oswald or no oswald conspiracy or no conspiracy the secret service would have been did their normal professional job, JFK would have lived. Well, having said that, after that first book, which was 500 pages, I knew I had a lot more in me than just JFK and just the assassination, although they're very important to me, of course, and he's still my favorite president. And then the second book was on the JFK medical evidence. And I was like, you know what, I'm more than just a one-trick pony. I know I had a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor about other presidents that these agents, former agents, the many that I interviewed, had told me about. And so what I want to do is I didn't want to go too far back. You know, when you get before FDR, you get pretty, you know, prehistoric when it comes to Secret Service. <laughs> and same token, as I noted in uh, the introduction of my new book, once you get past Reagan, a lot of that has been covered by other people, former agents and whatnot. George H.W. Bush up to the present has been very well covered by some major books. So it's that period from, like, the 1930s through and including the 1980s, which is FDR to Reagan, I wanted to cover. Now, I haven't said that again. I mean, there's definitely there's five major chapters out of 14 on JFK, so there's obviously a bias towards that. But, uh, yeah, I guess to answer your question in a short way would be, you know, a fair amount of these agents that protected President Kennedy dated back to the FDR era, and then there's also a fair amount that dated back a little bit later to Truman through Eisenhower. So I thought it was also um, interesting to you know, analyze them and, and, and not only what they had to say about the other presidents, but also to show, wow, a lot of these guys, you know, were around. There was two presidents that faced assassination, you know, FDR, when he was president-elect, um, faced an assassination attempt down in uh, Florida. And that's when uh, Chicago Mayor Anton Cermak was shot and killed. So there was Secret Service here protecting them. And then, obviously, in November 1950, President Truman several of the agents went on to protect President Kennedy were intimately involved in protecting Truman that day. So it's interesting, the historical parallels. And, uh, yeah, so that was my major reason for doing a third book. I just, like I said, I knew I had a lot more in me, so I wanted to get that out there. Mm -hmm. what's, your, what's your thought, then, on the Secret Service? Uh, as in an agency that's protecting the president, whoever that may be, uh, do you think that they... Like, how do I say? Is is there like, what's your point of view? Are are they um, just 
is it just not possible for an agency to really protect a president, or is it that they're just not the, I don't know, I don't want to say not the best, but, you know, is it Yeah, just, oh, yeah. I know I knew what you're getting at, Al, yeah. Um, no, i tell you what, I'm a, I'm a big, even though I'm a huge critic of the Secret Service's performance on November 22nd, 1963, I'm also a very big admirer of the Secret Service. Keep in mind, the Secret Service has been around since 1865. So 1865 through the present 2017, there's a lot to admire. Thousands of courageous, dedicated men and women protected countless presidents, foreign dignitaries, um, you know, first families, uh, visiting dignitaries, our currency, you know, they protect against fraud and counterfeiting and whatnot. So the vast majority of the men and women are, are tremendous, and the vast legacy of the Secret Service is tremendous, if you take away the huge huge mistake that was preventable of November 22nd. And, you know, no, obviously they're not squeaky clean because obviously the last five, seven years there's been other scandals here, Carter Hanna Columbia, nine agents drinking, carrying, you know, carrying on with prostitutes and whatnot. You know, definitely been some things that have not been flattering in the headlines last, again, five to seven years. But, again, what I want to do is show what I consider the modern era of the Secret Service. Most people consider that to be FDR onward, like, you know, like the, the later 20th century to the present. And, um, yeah, so it, basically what it boils down to is these guys are, these ages are, are tremendous. It wasn't just, you know, good luck that was involved in presidents surviving before the Kennedy assassination. They had protocols back then. Some people have a tendency to look at the Secret Service now which is just unbelievable. I mean, the president drives around, and when they call it the beast, it might as well be a tank. I mean, it can deflect anti-aircraft missiles, you know, any kind of like firearms and explosives. They have all these counterterrorism techniques and whatnot. But if you go back to the age before terrorism, if you go back to that time, the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, pre November 22nd, even 61, 62, 63, there is a reason the president survived. And again, it's not just good luck. And one of the major discoveries that was was talked about in the first book, Survivor's Guild, but I, I found so much more evidence of since the publication of that book was the building rooftops were regularly guarded during the FDR, Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy years. So that's grist for the mill for people that believe there was a conspiracy. And they think, wow, why were building rooftops guarded? And also, if you just the, the minority of people that think Oswald Act alone, I say, well, then you can have your Oswald Act alone. Imagine if building rooftops would have been guarded in Dealey Plaza. The assassination would have been aborted and the president would have lived. There's so much more to that than just that point. But, you know, again, some things were covered not to my... I don't want to say satisfaction because I was pleased with the first book, but you know some things in the 500-page book, some things are going to not not stand out as much as others. And uh, I find so many contemporary newspaper articles um, and uh, other related uh, information and interviews of agents and, and important uh, people on certain trips of just President Kennedy, let alone prior presidents. That's that's a major revelation of multi-story building rooftops regarded. Because again, most people would think. It's, wasn't it just a reaction to the assassination? They only started guarding building rooftops after. And, you know, years ago, I thought that same thought. I thought a lot of that's probably the modern secret service as a result of the assassination. It wasn't until I started to comb the newspaper archives to my shock. I couldn't believe this. It was like, wow. And, you know, when President Kennedy went to Nashville, Tennessee, all the multi-story building rooftops were guarded. The chief of police of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, talking about we had to police all the building rooftops as the president's limousine passed. When he goes to Pittsburgh, PA, 
France, Berlin, etc., etc. And then again, I found precedent because they did this during the Eisenhower Truman and FDR days. And I really wanted to bring that point home, and that's why I devoted a whole chapter, uh, chapter six in the new book. And uh, yeah, if you want, we can get into more specifics in some of the other chapters. But just that was like a general, you know, way of just showing there was a lot more than just uh, the first book of me that I wanted to tie up some loose ends and bring some stuff out. So yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find that they do something in general the same with each one of these presidents, or is there something that they've changed over the years, like from FDR to Kennedy? Um, what was what are the biggest differences you've noticed, or were there any? Okay, I would say during that time frame, roughly the 30s through the 60s, uh, you know, because they were a small band of men. We're only talking like, you know, the whole Secret Service was anywhere between 150 to 300 or so agents back at that time. It expanded tremendously since the assassination and through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the millennium and onward. But back then... It was pretty much standard protocol from FDR through JFK. Um, you know, the president was normally surrounded by a lot of motorcycles and a tight formation, a wedge formation. Again, multi-story building rooftops were guarded. Um, and that wasn't to say that every single building rooftop was guarded. The reason why I say multi-story buildings was because with uh, ranch-style one, one or two-floor buildings, they were able to uh, satisfactorily protect against a threat there by having agents and or police and or some branch of the military at eye level of those buildings. They usually went at a faster speed beyond those buildings. It's only when they got into more congested areas, which is usually a downtown area as opposed to suburbs, and you encounter those multi-story buildings, more windows, more people, more threats, that's when you had those buildings guarded. And again, FDR through the early JFK. And this is, I can't stress enough how new this is, that this is not something you're going to read in another book. It's, oh, we already knew this. I'd say, I don't want to exaggerate, but I'm telling you why, I'd say 99 point whatever percent of people had no idea that this was the case. It's really a revelation, though. The response has been really good so far, as it was the first book. But with this, I think it's really crystallizing because I really made a point of uh, bringing some of these things up. And another thing, in, in conjunction with just the protocol, was pretty much the standard FDR through JFK, what they did. Um, another thing that I just felt a myth was a lot of people, and it's a very understandable uh, reason why people would think this, most people would think, well, the president's the commander of, you know, the armed forces, he's the leader of the free world, he's the boss. He's the one who would tell the agents, you know, most people think of the agents like sort of like, butlers and gophers and whatnot. They go, oh, okay, he's telling them what to do, but actually it's the opposite. And I devoted a whole chapter to that. As President Truman was fond of saying, the Secret Service was the only boss the President of the United States really had. And that was echoed by President Johnson and President Clinton later on. They all echoed the same thing. They're all on record uh, in public statements that they agreed with that. And, and beyond even that, I, I, again, a whole chapter is devoted to that. that It was the Secret Service that literally could tell the president and did tell the president what to do in a nice, respectful way. But the reason why that's a big issue is the mythology around the Kennedy assassination is, oh, the president ordered the agents off the car. Oh, he ordered the uh, you know, limousine's bubble top off. Oh, he ordered the motorcycle police away. It, specifically, there's no truth to those allegations. But the big picture is, even if he wanted to, even if he said something which he didn't, 
he would be overruled by the Secret Service. That's the one area the president is not in charge of, is his own security. And as Clint Hill, ironically, Clint Hill, the agent famous in the British film of Jumping on the Limousine after the assassination and author of several books, amazingly, he came clean in 2010 in a Sixth Floor Museum interview. I borrowed it, and I couldn't believe it. I wrote it down word for word. It's completely what he said. It goes against everything he was trying to say before and after. He said, well, the president can tell you. This is the context of President Kennedy. The questioner's asking him, Stephen Fagan, about President Kennedy. He said, well, the president can tell you what he wants done, but that doesn't mean you have to do it. What we always used to do was listen to the president, and we did what we felt was best anyway. I'll never forget my shock when I got a hold of that. I played it over and over again. I cannot believe he's saying this. But then again, this was something not for public consumption. The big picture wasn't telecast on television. You know, next to no one knew about it. And I thought, oh, he must be leaving this for, for posterity. It's an oral history on video. Maybe that was his way of, I'm not going to leave this earth without, you know, telling the real story. Because if you read his books, you get a decidedly different picture. You get the picture that President Kennedy... Well, it's a shame he was assassinated, but he didn't want us by the car, he didn't want this and he didn't want that. And again, it's total bunk no matter what Clint Hill says, but him saying that is just amazing. It's, it's, it's tantamount to a confession of the truth. And that's what that whole chapter in my new book's about. And I think just in general, people are going to come away with, you know, tremendous respect for the Secret Service, and, and, and just deservedly so, but it just it, it is what it is. I'm I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news for anybody, but you know when it comes to the assassination, the assassination definitely could have and should have been prevented. And again, this has nothing to do with conspiracy or no conspiracy. And again, Oswald or no Oswald. But we can get into that. It just boils down to it's a sad, sad. It's not Monday morning quarterbacking and looking back with rose-colored glasses. This assassination definitely could have and should have been prevented. So, yeah. You know, um, what do you think? about things like that, like r right now with history and, for, uh, you know, um, with Bob Bear doing his, uh, <laughs> his show, yeah. and, and, and I hear a lot of, um, I, you know, a lot of, I, I, you know, uh, people not happy. <laughs> well, I'm not, it's, you caught me in, I'm saying, I'm very unhappy with it, yep. Yeah, but, you know, I have to, I have to say, so the first one I understand, now I've watched three of them, and... What exactly is, do you think the problem is with, with uh, that show? Oh, in a nutshell? Yeah. And just to sum it up and make it real concise for your listeners and for you, Al, what I'm supposed to do is he is bringing up an old, debunked, disregarded, silly canard trying to blame the Russians for the assassination and trying to say that Oswald was in cahoots with the Russians. Not only has that been debunked many times over by many authors and researchers, even people that believed Oswald acted alone, a lot of them say Russia had nothing to do with it. There would have been nothing in it for Russia. It would have been suicidal. They didn't want Lyndon Johnson. That makes no sense. They're going from good, manageable, meaning JFK, not great, because, you know, he was, you know, a capitalist and whatnot. He had some problems with JFK. But after the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was a, a rapprochement, and accommodations were made, and they saw Kennedy as someone they could work with. And to go from that to Lyndon Johnson, ridiculous. And there's no way they're going to risk nuclear war. There's no way they're going to risk Cuba being blown off the face of the earth at the very least. 
it, it's just it's silly. But beyond that, there's no hard evidence of anything. It's so silly. It, it, back in like the late I'd say well, I'd say the mid sixties to late seventies, there was a fringe element that still hung on to the oh Russia had something to do with it. And totally debunked. One of the things was uh, Michael Eddowes, a British author, tried to say that it was not Oswald who was buried. It was his, like his twin, and he was a Russian agent, right. and they exhumed him, and it was not. You know, it was all silliness. So what's really disturbing is I have a lot of respect for Bob Bear, former CIA uh, operative. I mean, he's he's a very respectable guy. He's got a tremendous pedigree. But I think what it is is in this day and age we live in now, everything's been demonized of Russia. Russians in the news all the time. In some, in some respects, rightly so. You know, the President Trump, you know, they're thinking that his campaign was influenced by the Russians and so on and so forth. And I think what this is, is to be honest with you, this whole thing now is to try to demonize Russia even more by trying to say that the Russia was a, responsible for an American president's death. And that's the reason why Bob Barron and these specials are on now. It's to bring it up now. See, this, this would have, like, no one would be watching this was five years ago or so. They would have said, oh, this is silly. But now a rush on everybody's mind. It's on the topic on everything on Facebook on a daily basis. It's clever because it's a way of getting the people to tune in that might think, oh, the assassination's old news. They're like, wait a minute. Russia had something to do with Kennedy? And for a new generation of millennials, people that weren't even born around that, they're probably easily swayed. The sad thing, there's probably a lot of young people that might take some of that face value, unfortunately, and aren't of age and haven't studied it. And it seems very respectable if you don't look behind the scenes and go, well, this guy's a former CIA agent, and uh, Russia is evil, you know, and look what they're doing when, uh, with influencing the campaign. See what I mean? It plays all into these boogeyman. And, and you know, it's, it's always about finding like a boogeyman, so to speak, they tried to say, you know, one time, this is a little bit more credible, trying to say the mafia was involved in the assassination, but as a, as a sole enterprise, no way. The mafia did not have the means, opportunity, they didn't have the power to execute. It was what boils down to the assassination, sadly, was a very small, and I underline the word, very, very small part of the government, either former officials of the government or Stoke Earn who wanted a change in policy, who did not like Kennedy's views on Vietnam, his views on civil rights, his views on Cuba, uh, shuddered to think this guy was probably going to be reelected, and Lord knows what would happen with Bobby and Kennedy, would be a Kennedy dynasty, and they knew he wanted to tear the CIA apart and you know cast them to the wind. He was coming down on everybody. You know, he was coming down on the mafia. That's definitely part of it. And they saw an opportunity to try to blame, see, here's what it was. They were trying to blame... Cuba slash Russia for it at the time, and Oswald was the perfect patsy. It didn't work, but that was the whole thing. It was to try to look like, oh my God, the president was killed. This guy has ties to Cuba and Russia. And that's what they were trying to achieve back then. It was a false sponsor to try to get everybody up in arms. And that's what LBJ cunningly used as a kind of like a leverage over the Warren Commission members, Earl Warren in particular, said, we've got to avoid World War III and get this out of the arena. They're saying Oswald was tied to the Russians and Cubans, and we have to say he acted alone and put this all behind us for the good of the country and the world and blah, 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 and say, you know, it almost comes full circle now to then and then to now. But, uh, yeah, this was definitely uh, inside job, so to speak. It's a handful of people. It's not the government as we know it in total. Again, just like the Secret Service, 95 to 99% of these people are good, honorable people. We're only talking about a handful of people that didn't like Kennedy. Kennedy couldn't be bought. You know, he gave his salary to charity. He was uh, his own man. He calls his own shots. He went, he went against the Joint Chiefs. He went against the CIA. 
their advice. He did what he wanted to do. And when he did not want to invade Cuba despite the bad pigs and especially Cuban Missile Crisis, they were livid. And they knew his pledge to not invade Cuba anymore was the end. It was the end. And then he was trying to pull out of Vietnam, too. It was not a war yet. It was the back-channel word. And when they saw that, the writing was on the wall, and they knew that Lyndon Johnson would be much more agreeable in those areas, at least when it came to Vietnam. We saw, you know, the escalation there. So that, that's what it all boils down to. That's why I love your... I, I, I'll be honest with you, Al, I didn't even watch the second one on. I was so disgusted with that first special. I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. Well, he, he moves, him and the show move into Cuba. Yes. And it seems to be that's where they're going, because... Um, about Oswald's tie of being into Mexico City and being into the, uh, going to the embassy. Right, well, Al, there's a lot more evidence. If anybody reads Jim Diogenia's Destiny Betrayed, the new version that came out a couple years ago, the updated one's the best. Or they read Reclaiming Parkland, or they read uh, Jim Douglas's book, JFK and His People. Just, just read those books right there, and they will see... Uh, Russia and Cuba had nothing to do with it as far as them being responsible for the assassination. Russia and Cuba had something to do with it as far as being a false sponsor to try to get people up in arms over the assassination and deflect the blame from the real people. The real story, ironically, is not Bob Bear's uh, fears about Russia. is his own darn agency, the CIA. There's a reason why the CIA is the number one suspect in most people's lips. If you read those books I just mentioned, you'll see, my God, yeah. Oswald wasn't James Bond. He wasn't 007, <laughs> no. but he was. He was a low-level operative. He's the type of guy. You know, these low. You know, when you see police informants, that they're usually one rung above the scum of the earth. I mean, you don't have to be 007 to be an operative or a so-called agent. And I think with uh, Oswald, he he was the perfect patsy. And the CIA, or at least elements of it, was moving around like a pawn on a chessboard. And, you know, he was definitely, most people agree, he was a false defector. He defected the Soviet Union for uh, reasons having nothing to do with patriotism or lack thereof. He was doing that as part of an intelligence operation. He was one of several, uh, Robert Webster was another one, who was going overseas as part of the mission. You know, he was part of the U-2 flights and overseeing them and so on. And he comes back here, and all the skullduggery in New Orleans. He's hanging around anti-Castro Cubans. At the same time, he's allegedly pro-Castro that right there is a red flag that something is amiss. All his, his many people he hangs around with or associated with him are violently anti-Castro and have intelligence connections up the wazoo. They don't have Russian and Cuban connections in the big picture. They have intelligence fingerprints all over them. And you don't find Bob Bear talking about that because the truth hurts. And that would be too risky and too controversial to air on TV. So these boogeymen... They, they know in the back of their mind aren't responsible. There's no threat there, so they can espouse it. But their agenda is very clear. They're just trying to demonize Russia. And uh, sorry to go on a tangent. No, that's, that's fine. That's <laughs> what we, you know, um, so now you're not a fan of the Oswald acting alone. I am not, but I'm on record for one thing. Some people might know about this. Um, you know, I'm 50, 50 years old right now, and. You know, I started been into the case since I was 12 years old, believe it or not, 1978. But there was a six-month period, believe it or not, back 10 years ago. Yeah, six months in 2007, speaking of his biliosi, that he just about swayed me to think that Oswald did act alone after all. And I got some explaining to do about that because there's still a few, very few people, a few people kind of in a kiddingly, kidding way kind of hold it against me a little bit, like kind of like half kidding, half serious. What it, what it boils down to is that, I was at a point in my study of the case where I was very much 
to put it another way, burned out of the case. This is before I published my first book, and kind of just was like, just burned out of the whole thing. And Vince Bugliosa, I had a lot of respect for having nothing to do with the Kennedy assassination. He came up with his book, his gargantuan book, you know, Reclaiming History, right. and he seemed to have an answer for everything, at least at first glance. And I was like, wow. But I always had this caveat for people. I thought what happened was, was tantamount to, there was, think about this analogy. There was conspiracies to rob the first national bank of wherever, Minnesota. And there was definitely men who were planning to do that. But one sole bank robber, having nothing to do with those conspiracies, beat them to the punch and robbed the bank. Now, wasn't there a conspiracy and conspiracies, plural, in place to rob that bank? Of course there were. But one sole gentleman beat them to the punch. And that's what I started to think. That's, that solves it for me at the time, ten years ago. That... Oh, my God, that's what it is. There's no doubt that Kennedy had enemies. There's no doubt that there was people that wished him ill and whatnot. Could it be, and this is what I thought ten years ago, and again, it was only for like a six-month period, that I thought, wow, maybe Oswald did it and he beat everybody to the punch. It wasn't there was no conspiracy. He just beat them before they could enact their conspiracy, so to speak. But then what happened was Doug Horn and other people, including Jimmy D. Eugenia, several other authors, kind of like the literal figured at least, whatever, slap in the face of reality, and they picked apart um, Vince Bugliosi's book, you know, point for point, chapter for chapter. I mean, he's been picked apart so many times now by reviews in a very good, professional, scholarly way. And I was like, oh, okay. He was just a tremendous prosecutor, and his zeal made it really look like, wow. I mean, Vince Bugliosi, he could convince anybody of anything. He's really that good, and he made me think, wow. This is, a, this is amazing, he could do this, but then when other people picked him apart, it kind of like, okay, I'm back to reality now, and so yeah. and so well, but, but what is, what do you think the essential problem or issue is? So, so for people that listen that, that, you know, they're not studying and all that, they're just listening and they've heard about JFK and they, they see mm -hmm. history and stuff, what is the, you know, they might read Posner's book, you know, yeah. and they might, so, so what is the main reason that Oswald's couldn't be just just uh, a little deranged and some yeah, okay. yacht that comes up and just decides I'm going to kill him for whatever I, reason. I got so, the perfect perfect response to that. Um, and the exact title lose me right now about checking right now. But the author's name is Flip the Bay. Right. Flip the Bay. You heard him. Yeah. Yeah. I heard him. His latest book is absolutely brilliant, and what it does, it works in conjunction with Barry Ernest's book, and what it, what the $64 million question and answer is. Oswald could have done it because he was not on the sixth floor, even if it was his gun. Even if a bullet or bullets, plural, came from that gun. Even if Oswald was no saint, even if Oswald was involved, he was not the shooter he wasn't even the, the, the only shooter. He wasn't the shooter. His gun was involved, but he wasn't. And that solved it for me. Barry Ernest's book, The Girl on the Stairs, and Flip the Bay's last book, and it's bothering me. I can't remember the exact title right now. I'm embarrassed to admit that. But it's, his book is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I, I read it cover to cover in two sessions back to back. It's a pretty thick book. And it's amazing because this was a guy who was like almost like Vince Bugliosi, who had no axe to grind. He's from, a, he's from another country. He has no horse in the race. He has no, no desire to prove conspiracy or no conspiracy. 
and he analyzed the evidence, and again, in conjunction with, well, actually, this had nothing to do with Barry Arnest. Barry Arnest separately, and for decades, it had his own investigation, and it was Victoria Adams and Sandra Stiles and other people did their testimony, and all those two books together show, again, Oswald wasn't on the sixth floor. So this whole thing about, well, shots came from the rear or shots came from the front, was Oswald's gun involved? Well, see, that's people used to think, oh, if we can't prove shots from the front, I guess Oswald did it. And people winced when they said, oh, boy, I hate to say this, but, you know, it sounds like that bullet came from Oswald's gun. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, people in their dark hours say, you know, all this evidence sounds good. It's, it's tantalizing. Kennedy had enemies on and on and on. Smoke on the grassy knoll, the smell of gunpowder, the head snap to the rear, on and on and on. But when you get to things you can't avoid, like, again, the bullets, the ballistics coming from Oswald's rifle, that was always the conundrum. Just like, you know, the people that believe Oswald acted alone don't want to deal with the head snap, don't want to deal with the smoke from the knoll and the smell of gunpowder and Kennedy's many enemies, etc., etc., you know, the setting up of Oswald. You know, to be honest with you, there's a lot of people on a quote-unquote our side that didn't want to deal with those things, either. Or you know, the, the killing of Officer Tippett. It used to be, oh, that looks so bad. Why would he kill Tippett unless he was guilty of something? You don't just kill a police officer if you're Lily White and you did nothing. Right. You had to have, I guess he did kill the president. And again, Flip DeMay does a brilliant job of showing there's a third alternative to all It's not as black and white as you think, and it's not grass with straws. It's not like, oh, he's just saying because he wants to find an answer. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because it's like, wow, I thought I've seen and heard it all. You know, I've, I've read hundreds of books, seen everything I can see to the point where it's like a, a very choosy on what I read because I've read everything. And again, very earnest book a few years. In fact, I always tell people, the books in the last five, seven years or so, have been better than all the books prior combined. And I said, that, well, due respect, because the level of scholarship, it used to be theories. It used to be back in the old days, there were a few exceptions, it was theories. You know, what's your theory? Before the days of the Internet and uh, scholarship and the ARB releases, it used to just be people used to espouse a real tantalizing theory, but there wasn't a lot of scholarly underpinning. Like, in other words, you couldn't take into a court of law. You couldn't deal with lawyers. You couldn't deal with people that are hard forensic experts. They'd rip you apart and say, what's your proof of this? Come on. Well, if you read Barry Ernest's book, if you read Flip DeMay's book, you'll, you, you, it's tremendously researched and, and documented, and you'll come away thinking, my God, that's it. And that answers your question directly. To sum it up, that's exactly what I think. I think that Oswald literally was the perfect patsy. They knew what they were doing by having him involved. You know, it, it just, it, no one even really put too much thought in that. It was always like black and white. Either Oswald was involved or he wasn't involved. He was either a shooter or he wasn't a shooter. But again, it comes time to it. Those women were, those creaky wooden stairs, the sixth floor, uh, in the book depository, were unbelievably noisy. These women had high heels on, too. As soon as the assassination was over, they ran from their uh, perch on the, on the fourth floor, a couple floors below the alleged Oswald floor. They didn't hear him. They didn't see him. And another uh, woman, their supervisor, said in a buried report that only came out a few years ago, it's a lot of new evidence the last few years, said that, yeah, I, I saw the, the ladies go down the stairs right after the assassination, I'm paraphrasing, but the point is, my God. Oswald, in order to make the lunchroom in 90 seconds, had to have been on the stairs around that time, or at least hear him. And those stairs, there's no way you could have avoided anybody 
uh, you could hear someone, let alone see them. So that's like the smoking gun that Oswald wasn't up there. So regardless of his gun was used, regardless if Oswald has blood on his hands, figuratively speaking, he wasn't the shooter. So that opens up Pandora's box of, my God, that, that solved it for me, too. Because wow, there was so many damning things against him used to bother me. You know, the fibers on the rifle match, the, the blanket, and, you know, the tippet. You know, we can, get, we can have an awe. There's some good counter-evidence on the tippet case, but it still looked pretty bad that he shot tippet. But then people don't realize tippet wasn't Lily White either. He was out of his jurisdiction. People said he was waiting at the uh, overpass where... Uh, ironically, Oswald would be coming from, coming from, and he was making serious phone calls, rushing into stores and on, on pay phones and running out. And again, he was out of this area and lied about it, and the police tr uh, transcripts were um, done over. And you know, we made, well, what, why is this guy out of his jurisdiction? Why is he there? Why is he making these weird calls and everything? And in the interest of time, there's so much more to it than that. Trust me, yeah. but if you just read those two books. But, yeah, so Oswald very well could have killed Tippett, but it's not for the reason people think. He was doing it because Tippett was the first Ruby. Tippett was going to be the one who was going to kill Oswald and get rid of him real quick. Imagine if there was no Ruby and there was no Oswald. We never heard from Oswald. Oswald was killed by a courageous officer, J.D. Tippett, who killed a presidential assassin before he could get any further. We never heard Oswald yell, I'm just a patsy. We never heard all that stuff, so it would just be... Well, this officer did a great job, bless him. He killed the presidential assassin. And see, when Tippett fell through, that's why they had to get Ruby a couple days later, and that's a whole other ball wax about Ruby. So that's what it, it really solved it for me. It's tremendous. I went full circle. I went from believing there was a conspiracy to being burned out to now reading these books. I'm back in the conspiracy column in a big way, and I have been for now 10 years. But yeah. Well, and that, that flipped the main book is uh, the Lee Harvey Oswald Files, right? That's the one. Thank yeah. you very much. Good thing it's exact. Title, yeah. Yeah, and, and I've had them, but it, so that's that's fine. But you know, um, having Joan Mellon on recently, um, so so because Roger Stone and that, there's a whole side of your group. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Roger Stone. All, all sorts of fringe people. I well, know. well, you know, because what do you think about that? Because that whole side is is it's kind of. Debunked. Yeah, well, they're kind of blaming LBJ, and then... Well, that's been debunked now. It's funny you mean Joe Mellon. You want my honest opinion, and I'm on record saying Joe Mellon debunks the whole LBJ did it theory. Right. Yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah. She proves in her book, and it's, it's really regular. I was at a conference this past November, and it was silly. Bar McClellan and Roger Stone were there, and there was a lot of other people in the audience, and they had no substantive response to Joe Mellon other than just basically to the fifth grade playground badmouther, but they had no counter-reference because Joe Mellon showed that Mac Wallace wasn't even in Texas, let alone Dallas at the time, shows that those fingerprints were not the fingerprints on the sixth floor, so Mac Wallace had nothing to do with it. Right. So then it takes away the whole thing about LBJ. LBJ didn't duck down in the car, that's silliness. LBJ, I'm no fan of LBJ, trust me, between the Vietnam War and Lord knows what else, he is definitely no angel, to put a molly. You know, and you can't prove a negative, but I will say this, it takes a lot of the fang out of the whole thing about him being vulgar. He used to be the thing. And, you know, all due, due respect, it, it, it killed Joe Mellon, to me, has debunked the whole LBJ did thing. Well, yeah, we're really down to the CIA. Yeah, we are, and I'll be honest with you, I, I think there's a reason why, because it's, it's, they are, and they, 
again, if you read like David Talbot's book, uh, you know, Devil's Chessboard and all that, it, 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 Alan Dulles and the CIA in general had so, you know about the means, motive, and opportunity as the CIA, right. they were worried about losing the agency, losing their pensions, their reputation, their CIA going away. These guys were power hungry. They loved the skullduggery. They loved controlling elections. They loved controlling nations. And here was this young whippersnapper, to use Eisenhower's uh, catchphrase on JFK, who was going to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and throw them to the winds, who didn't want to escalate the Vietnam War. In fact, he wanted to not even have a war. He wanted to get to shut it down. And again, we, as we you know, repeat myself about Cuba and everything. So and, and their, their fingerprints are all over Oswald. Again, this goes no further than to bring Destiny Betrayed by Jim DiEugenio in his first book. Right there. I mean, it's documented like crazy. All the, all the fire, uh, John Newman's book, Oswald the CIA, and, and John Newman's a former military intelligence officer, and he's all by documents. He's not trying to espouse a CIA conspiracy of what we might think. His book is very, very uh, clinical, technical, but it shows that there was this tremendous interest, operational interest in Oswald before the assassination. Now, if Oswald was a little old nobody, nothing, crazy crackpot, why were all these big-time CIA officers... Executives signing off on things about Oswald, Oswald's 201 file, etc., etc. They know all about Oswald beforehand, and he shouldn't have 201 files and all this stuff if he's just this loser, lo loner, nobody. Right. So it definitely, yeah. Now, now, now Secret Service, now, um, a lot happened around Kennedy. So now they're yeah. protecting the family as well, right? Yeah. Right. So now what about when, when JFK has girlfriends? Now, yeah, well... That's what, as I, as I lay out my first book, Survivor, and I lay out my new book, The Nonsense Secret Service, yeah, uh, the, the, the simple answer is, yeah, this would protect them no matter what. They're there to protect the man. They're not supposed to make moral judgments, but people that do ask me, Vince, they say, so I can tell you read between the lines that there's a few agents you're very suspicious of. I have three agents I'm very suspicious of. Floyd Boring. Floyd Borden was the plan of the Texas trip from the Secret Service perspective. Emery Roberts was the commander of the agents of the fall car right behind Kennedy's limousine. And Bill Brewer was the driver of that limousine. And the motive was, I think some of these agents, well, I know for a fact they were. No one disputes this. Several of the agents were angry at President Kennedy for his personal life. They were disgusted. It wasn't like today with, you know, TMZ, paparazzi, tabloid press, all everybody has affairs, blah, 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 divorce rates through the roof. Back in the late 50s, early 60s, the, the social mores of the time were tantamount to Donna Reed and, you know, Brady Bunch leaving the beat or whatnot, and divorce was still a dirty word. And here was the, you know, I'm a big fan of Kennedy, but he's not an age weeder. Kennedy's weakness maybe was because of his asthma disease, medication, and didn't think he was going to live long. He was women. Women literally feel he's a very good-looking guy, the leader of the free world. Women were throwing themselves at him, and he indulged. And a lot of these married Secret Service agents were appalled. And some of them are on record, on video, in interviews I transcribe in my book. And, and one of them was Tim McIntyre, who wrote in the fall car, supposed to protect Kennedy. It's in there saying, yeah, procurement, prostitution you know, is illegal. A procurement is illegal. And here we are being created around a procurer of prostitutes. It makes you think, well, what do they think of us? This guy had this attitude, he's going to protect Kennedy, and he's talking for Emory Roberts. Emory Roberts died in 1973, and he talks about in Seymour Hersh's book, and in the documentary, 1997, he has a name, but he just says a supervisor, talked all about it all the time, and told me to watch what I said and did, and keep it yourself, don't even tell your wife about it, that Emory Roberts was very concerned about President Kennedy's personal life. 
And it's a $54 million question. Wow. Well, the shots were flying in the air, and they were supposed to react to President you know, Kennedy to, to secure him, to keep him alive and safe. Would they think twice, if not thrice, about protecting the man if they were angry at his personal life and thought that the country could do better and maybe thought of LBJ as maybe a better role model and whatnot? I mean, the list goes on. It's like the CIA's motives to some of the Secret Service agents of that same motive. Not as an institution. A lot of these guys were good, or at the very least, they were gross now because they're just in their falling orders. But all it takes is a few seconds to stand down and He's dead, and Emory Roberts, he's one of my big suspects, because he became the appointment secretary to LBJ while still an active agent of the Secret Service. That has never happened before. That has never happened since. He's unique in the angles of the Secret Service of being a appointment secretary, a member of the administration at the same time he's an active agent. The day after the assassination, these pictures of my book, he's holding an umbrella over LBJ's head, and other agents look at him disgust, like, what are you doing? What are you doing this personal favor of president? There's other valets and people that could hold his own umbrella. Of all people, it's Emory Roberts. And it just shows you a motive that, wow, here was another agent a few feet away, two agents at least on record. And they all knew about Kennedy's private life. It's a matter of how many were angry. A few of them were on record about it. It just shows the whole motive. Like, some people would say, oh, Vince, why would some of these loyal, dedicated men who were sent there, you know, protect the president, why would they... Be involved. It only takes a few. It takes one agent, Floyd Boring, to say, hey, uh, the boss, meaning the president, doesn't want agents on the back of the car. And Floyd Boring's telling them this, so, okay, we won't have agents on the back of the car. It sounds good to me. And then they're laying out the protection of the president, the advance orders, don't do this, don't do that. The president doesn't want this, so they like the security. Then when the assassination is happening in real time, there's Emory Roberts, Tim McIntyre, maybe some other ones are like, mm, action through this, stand down a few seconds. I mean, you're gonna, that's, that's all it takes. So, it, you know, there you go. You know. So do they have to watch over, um, because there's a lot of talk about Marilyn Monroe and JFK, you know, and there's been a lot of books. So would, yeah. would they be watching over her as well? Yes. So yeah, they would. Yeah, they so they would know. Let's put this way: they would know full, full well specifically about any affairs Kennedy had. Now, I'm on the fence about Marilyn Monroe specifically. Uh, you know, there's some evidence in quotes that he definitely had affairs with her. Then some people say the number and scope of them has been greatly exaggerated. It sounds more like doesn't excuse it, doesn't condone it. It might have just been one tryst, maybe two. It wasn't this ongoing love affair? It was like. Part of the vernacular was a couple quickies. It was like this big affair. But the point being, he's married to Jacqueline Kennedy, and hypothetically speaking, now, so his agents could have, uh, you know, they well, the, it's not. Even, I don't know why I'm saying could have. They did greatly admired the first lady, and they see the president having these toward affairs with, you know, Hollywood's starlets. You know, there's several of them, not just Marilyn Monroe. It doesn't even take Marilyn Monroe out of it. There's other ones that are documented. It's it's now overwhelming in other books and interviews with these actual women and Secret Service winks and nods. And there's no doubt that Kennedy had affairs. And again, I think that's that's a Secret Service's motive for an action was their disgust. It's hard to put our minds around it now, but back then that was a big deal. Having, oh, yeah. you know, having yeah. affairs. And, yeah. yeah. Different times. Do you think the presidents have to worry now? Like, of course, it seems to me like the last two, like the one that's in now, Trump, and yeah. and, and uh, Obama were, I would say, you know, they, they were very polarized. There's a lot of people that hate them, 
and yeah. love them. But there seems to be no attempts on their lives. Is that is that just because we don't know it, or do you think that they're they've really had to protect these these presidents? Well, I know that when it went from George W. Bush to Obama, the threat level went up four hundred percent. I don't know how they can go above a hundred percent. I suppose it was four hundred percent increase in number of threats. It's because he's African American, number one. And number two, you know, probably the number one reason it was right there. Yeah. And then you get into other peripheral things about, oh, he's a socialist, he's not even American, all the silliness, and that, that added to it. But th- th- this is a tremendous compliment on the Secret Service. And this is not just happenstance or good luck or good fortune. The reason why you have an assassination, a successful one since JFK, is because the tremendous upgrade in technology, personnel, hiring manpower, equipment. You know, now we're in the age of terrorism, so ever since really the early 80s, but definitely since 9-11. They have a whole anti-counterterrorism wing, and they work with intelligence community, CIA, FBI, local police. There's so much of a better um, working arrangement with all the different intelligence agencies, you know, Office of Homeland Security, National Security Agency, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a tremendous compliment to these men and women that have kept the presidents alive, the various presidents, especially the last two that are very polarizing. It's the simple answer is they're just doing a damn good job. There's many of them, and they have tremendous resources and techniques. And before anybody hears that and goes, well, Fitz, come on, that's the reason why Kennedy was killed. Back then, they didn't have that. It's all the context of the time. Again, I can't stress this enough. Back in 1963, Building rooftops were regularly guarded. Normally, the motorcycle formations were, there were more motorcycles there around the car more. Normally, he went faster. Uh, normally, you had uh, some branch of the military or police lying the streets and facing the crowd, not just facing the president like they were in Dallas, which is useless. If you had that kind of protection in a pre-terrorism world that we lived in, Pre- president Kennedy would have been, could have and should have survived. You just go back to the trip before, forget any other trip. The Florida trip was four days before uh, the trip to Texas. And it was the longest domestic motorcade President Kennedy ever had. It was 28 miles long. Agents rode on the back of the car. They were going on a much faster clip. There was military aid in the front seat. Military lined the street, faced the crowd. Police lined the street, faced the crowd. Multi-story buildings were all guarded. Uh, there were many more motorcycles in wedge formation. He had proper intelligence. They found a couple threats to the president, and they were monitoring the crowds more because of that. That's the reason why President Kennedy survived Tampa. It had nothing to do with luck or happenstance or rubbing a rabbit's foot. But when it comes to Dallas, a city he's warned about by so many people, rabid right-wing Dallas nut country, even the <laughs> Kennedy's court, yeah, he says, yeah, Kennedy's on record saying we're, we're traveling to nut country now. He's killed, and supposedly the Secret Service found no threats to the president in Dallas. Nobody who wished to. That would be tantamount to going to, I don't know, Alabama. There's no threats to Obama. Nobody, no, nobody in Alabama wants to wish any harm on Obama. Yeah. So we're supposed to believe that bull crap, but yet in Texas, nobody wished ill of JFK. Even Roy Kellerman, to his credit, and his Warren Christian tells me, said that was unusual. Other agents told me it was very unusual to find no threats, but I think what that was, that was another part of the cover story. Mm-hmm. The Secret Service could say, we found no threats. That's why there was no special intelligence and special protection. And this security was stripped away. And, and, and one thing i got to get in real quick, Al, Another thing, and it's, it's well-being, just like the people that thought you know, the president was in you know, control of the security in my new book conclusively demonstrates that's not true, and people didn't know about building rooftops. Well, another thing, um, 
and I almost lost it. Let me see. <laughs> I hate that when it happens. Uh, damn, I almost lost it. I think I did lose it. It was... What were we just talking about? It was... Uh-huh. I hate when that happens. It was something about uh, the threats. Yeah, the threats to the now and, and where they're at and, and uh, how they're not now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's it. Okay, I just remember now. The third point, third point. Just remember. People will sometimes look at photographs of prior motorcades and say, Vince, your research is all good and all that. I, and I, I address this in the book, by the way, the new book. Well, Kennedy doesn't look like he has like, special protection here. He looks like a sitting duck just like in Dallas. Explain yourself, sir. And I explain myself again because you cannot judge the speed of a motorcade in the stole photo. You can't see the police on the rooftops in the stole photo. You can't see the police in the crowds in the stole photo. You can't appreciate the intelligence. And so when you just see a stole photo, many times the agents were on the back of the limousine. That was like a 50-50 proposition. It all depended on the situation. Many times the bubble top wasn't on the car. There's a lot of times the bubble top was on. So it's not a matter of looking for overt things all the time. Sometimes they didn't want to look obtrusive with security. They did have manpower issues. They relied on local police and the military. But beyond that, which can't be judged in a still frame or a motion picture a lot of times back then, was, again, they was being guarded from above by, you know, the police and sheriff's department, and down below, there was many times hundreds, if sometimes thousands, of um, plainclothes detectives in the crowds themselves. So when people look at Stolfo and go, God, Kenny looks like a sitting duck, looks like a hundred people are going to kill him here. No, no, no. Because yeah. you can't judge the speed of the car, you don't know how many people were in the crowds, in the buildings, and that solved it for me. It was only through research, because... You know, about five, ten years ago, that was the devil's advocate that kind of bothered me because it's like, wow, it's all well and good. Kennedy had nothing to do with agents not being in the back of the limousine and agents should have been there in Dallas, et cetera, et cetera. But again, you would have to explain yourself on these other trips that look kind of paltry security-wise, and that solved it for me. Like, wow. And again, it's all proved in my new book here, chapter and verse, and it's all about the building rooftops. Kennedy had nothing to do with the security uh, being diminished, and again, it's all about you cannot judge the security back then. See, now you can. Now it's very overt. Now the president's driving around in a tank, and you can see, you know, counter snipers and that. It's very overt, but back then it was. It was more, security was more covert back yeah. in those days out of necessity. So, what do you, what, you just for one last thing, I was just... Sure. What is the problem with um, now mainstream? Like people back in the 60s and 70s had a lot of respect for government agencies, CIA, Secret Service, FBI. Seems like nowadays they're they're totally under question right now. People have a lot of disbelief. They don't really subscribe to automatically believing what they hear from them. Yeah. Well, I think also is a is a side note, a real brief side note. I'll answer your question directly. That was also used to the advantages of those agencies after the Kennedy assassination because people believed the media and the government and the government agencies like the word of God, so to speak. So it's like, if they said it, must be true. The FBI, Daniel Hoover, saying Oswald alone, that's good enough for me, 63, 64. And the Secret Service, they walked on water back then. People didn't realize that nine agents drank the night before, including our darling hero, Clint Hill, tremendous exaggeration on that point. He was no hero at all. He drank the night before. But back then, there was no investigative reports, no Woodward and Bernstein before Watergate, before politics was a dirty word. See, back then, there was more respect for government institutions because, with a few exceptions, uh, things were either hidden, we didn't know about the scandals, or there was a reason to have more respect. See, now, 
It's in the it's in the newspapers. The wow, secret search for partying with prostitutes. Wow, this one was looking at child pornography. Oh my God, did you just see that on Yahoo News? I can't believe this. So now these guys, you know, General Petraeus and the, the files and having an affair with a woman and giving her classified information. See now these we're more apt to justifiably believe in conspiracies and, and deficiencies in governments and government agencies now. And sometimes people don't realize, okay, so they walked on water back then, they had nothing to do with Kennedy's assassination, but now they're involved in all these things, and they don't realize that back then they were just as dirty, if not more so, in a certain extent. But there was a, there was a let's put it another way, maybe a better way to frame it would be, the FBI was a tremendously well-deserved institution back in Hoover's time, except for J. Edgar Hoover himself. Hoover was a bad seed. He blackmailed celebrities, the presidents, everything. He thought he walked on water. But the agency itself was great. The CIA is a very good agency, except for some of the bad apples at the top, especially back in those days. So that's all it took. It wasn't the government agency. They, they, so they deserved a lot of respect to a certain extent back in the old days. But now, with this age of everybody knowing everything, everything you know, becomes instantly viral on social media. and there, There's no secrets anymore, literally and figuratively. That's why we're in a different world today. And... Uh, and again, I was used to their advantage back in the Kennedy assassination days because it was much easier to get over on the public back then because people believed everything. The guy had people open the New York Times, hey, Mildred, it's St. Oswald Act alone. It's good enough for me. Where now people would say, no way, come on. He was killed like under very bizarre circumstances. Oh, this is ridiculous. But see, back then, it was like, my, my dad told me a good thing. He said, you know what? Ten people going to kill Kennedy. We were so bereaved. All the details were in one ear and not the other. When I show him videotapes now of footage from that day, he can't believe it. He said, oh, my God, that guy just said a shot came from behind him on the Knoll, meaning the Newman family. Gene Hill's on the phone saying a shot came from across the street. You know, people talk about smoke and smell of gunpowder, etc., etc. But back then, people were so devastated by the loss of their president. And that's really where you talk about a lack of respect. It used to be a time when the presidents rightfully walked on water. You know, people just viewed them in a totally different way. You know, little kids wanted to be president. Now, the presidency is either rightfully or wrongfully viewed with such scandal. Yeah, Ben, this has been great. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, an hour is never enough with it. I appreciate it, Al. Thanks. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well... Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.